central and sustaining belief that there is so much available to our children. There is his guidance. There is the family legacy to be carried forward. And there are opportunities for the child that were not there for the father. When God looks into the mirror we are facing, God sees the fulfillment of his will. What we see, what others see, and what God sees. And it all comes from my look into the mirror and from your look into the mirror. Sometimes it's easier to understand the experience when we consider an example. So look with me now at a few mirror portraits from Scripture, and let's consider what these people saw and what other people saw. What did the young David of 1 Samuel see when he looked into the mirror? And what did those of the world around him see when they glanced over his shoulder? Let's focus on the view highlighted by chapter 17. David was the youngest of eight sons of Jesse. While many of his older brothers joined the armies of Saul to fight, David was too young to enlist for that duty. David was a shepherd and an errand boy. He angered his older brothers often. when They were annoyed when he would come near the fighting, but he couldn't fight himself. Even as David volunteered to fight the nine-foot giant Goliath, he was met with Saul's comment that, you are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. David was courageous, citing the times he fended off lions or bears from attacking his flock of sheep. Yet, David was weak and untrained, unable to sustain himself under the weight of the armor that he was given. As David approached Goliath with no weapons other than five measly stones, no armor, no backing of any other soldiers, and seemingly no hope, Goliath responded this way, telling much about what he saw and how he viewed the young man. From 1 Samuel 17, verse 41, Meanwhile, Goliath the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. When David looked in the mirror, he acknowledged his youth, but he clung to his courage. The world saw David as small, unintimidating, unprepared, foolish. Goliath saw him as an insult, yet another speed bump in his reign of terror, another to fall to the conqueror. Here's another mirror. What did the assistant of Elijah see in 2 Kings when he looked and saw his plight? And what did those in the world around him see? Read with me the story from 2 Kings 6 for an example of seeing only what the mirror shows you. We'll start in verse 8, we'll end in verse 15. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will go set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. 
The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horse, with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Consider that servant of Elisha. Consider what he saw when he looked in the mirror and viewed himself and his life. He certainly saw his role. He was, after all, a servant. He saw his dependence. He saw his limitations. He probably saw his individual humanity. We can be certain that he saw he was surrounded and in a dire situation. What he saw was overwhelming, causing him not only to blurt out, what shall we do, but to proceed that with a cry of desperation, oh no, my Lord. The evidence was overwhelming. The circumstance was daunting. Instead of a young boy facing one giant of a man, this was a city swallowed by a powerful and motivated armed force that would not be denied this time. An enemy that had been constantly frustrated and was ready to exact the ultimate and complete revenge. The servant saw the situation. The servant saw the end. The servant saw the army that would be his conqueror. What did Peter see in the view of himself? And what did those of the world see around him when they viewed Peter? Now look, Peter was an emotional guy. He was excitable. He was passionate. He got angry. He got abusive. He lied. He had regret. He got confused. He tended to say things without thinking. He didn't always pay attention to things or put them together in a way that made sense. Prior to being called by Jesus, we're led to believe he was a pretty ordinary fisherman. He became the emotional and headstrong disciple that was actually willing to call out Jesus. In Mark 8, beginning in verse 31, Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. When Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Rebuked by Jesus. Peter was also a man of variable faith. Matthew 14, starting in verse 27, But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? This is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times. This is the Peter that impulsively slashed the ear of one of the guards that arrested Jesus. Even post-resurrection, after Jesus restored him, Peter questioned Jesus about, about why it was that John may be immortal. John 21-22, Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. 
When Peter looked in the mirror, he saw every bit of himself. As they say, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He saw things that he could only control sometimes. He saw promise, but he also saw vulnerability. Good intentions yoked with inconsistent delivery. He wanted to believe in that person that looked back to him, but somehow that person was his own conqueror. To this point in the story, young David and his adversary Goliath, the story of Elisha's servant and the approaching hostile army, and the story of Peter, who was often his own worst enemy, are simple examples of true humanity. Well-intentioned, perhaps, but faulty and incomplete. When they looked in the mirror, they saw opportunity, but it was shrouded by debt and un- doubt and uncertainty. When others looked at them, they saw very little of value. When you peer into that mirror, what do you see? As you gaze intently, what will you hear? Are you being stirred to action? Or are you being constrained into inaction? Will you fall back in fear? Or will you push forward in faith? When you look in the mirror, will you see your self-limiting view? Will you see the critique of society and its low expectations? There's a very well-known contemporary Christian song that includes verses related to these stories we've read today. I'm sure you'll recognize it as I read some of this to you. Oh, what I would do to have the kind of strength it takes to stand before a giant with just a sling and a stone, surrounded by the sound of a thousand warriors shaking in their armor, wishing they'd have had the strength to stand. But that giant's calling out my name, and he laughs at me reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed. The giant keeps on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. Another verse says, Oh, what I would do to have the kind of faith it takes to climb out of this boat that I'm in, onto the crashing waves, to step out of my comfort zone into the realm of the unknown where Jesus is and he's holding out his hand. But the waves are calling out my name, and they laugh at me, reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed. The waves, they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. The world often tells us we'll never win. We probably often tell ourselves we'll never win. When you look in the mirror, will you find yourself in the moment, complete with all your limitations and hesitations? Or will you find God in the moment? Remember, there are three views from that mirror. Let's change the view and thankfully consider what God saw in these men and in these situations. What did God see when he looked at David? He saw a leader. He saw an anointed king. God knew that while David had picked up five smooth stones... Only one was going to be needed for this encounter on the battlefield. Why? Because God saw a boy becoming a man by demonstrating that he was not the strength in the moment, but that God was. He saw someone recognizing the battle was not his to fight, and if God was with him, who could stand against him? Starting in verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and He will give all of you into our hands. And while this is not scriptural, I suspect right here is where the giant laughed and said, boy, you'll never win. God saw what David would become, which might have been different than what David saw or what the world saw. David had it within him because he knew he came in the name of the Lord Almighty. Not in the name of Saul, not in the name of David, not even in the name of Jesse. He came in the name of the Lord Almighty, and God delivered David and his people of Israel from their enemies that day, from those seemingly destined to be conquered. God saw, and God knew. And now David knew, and the people that saw David knew. What did God allow the servant of Elisha to see? God's power enlightens, it strengthens, it increases confidence and energy and faith. Elisha knew God was in charge of the moment. But we're not looking into Elisha's mirror. We're looking into the mirror of the servant. The servant needed to be reassured. Picking up in verse 16 of 2 Kings 6, we're greeted with the most wonderful gift that this terrified servant could have ever received. Remember, the preceding verse included the oh no cry and the plea for what to do. Verse 16, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The story continues that God granted Elisha's prayer to blind the opposing army so that Elisha could lead them away. He then demonstrated tremendous mercy to his enemy. And the passage ends with, so the bands of Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. It's a fine ending to that story. We aren't told anything else about Elisha's servant. I hope that the next time he looked in the mirror and into his situation, he saw God's power. He saw the ability to believe, to act. And to know that with God, those who are with us are more than those who are with them in all things. God allowed the servant to see beyond, beyond the enemy, beyond the obvious circumstances, beyond the doom, beyond his conqueror. God saw and God knew. And now the servant knew. <clears throat> what did Jesus see in Peter? Peter's life was that of a pretty viable role model in that he was very human, very emotional, and it would be very easy for people to relate to him, both in the moment and for centuries to come. Jesus knew of Peter's strong voice and willingness to speak the truth, which would make him the rock on which the new church would be built. We see much of Peter's spiritual leadership in the book of Acts. At the day of Pentecost, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, it was Peter who assured the crowd that those speaking in tongues were not drunk, Culminating his speech in Acts 2, verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
Peter accepted the power of the Holy Spirit, delivered miracles through that power, and gave glory to God in all his actions. In Acts 5, verse 14, we see an example of that power. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. Wow. In his own series of letters, Peter demonstrates courage beyond traditional human limitations of fear and worry. In 1 Peter 3.13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And these words about suffering for doing evil were written by the man who was eventually crucified for his beliefs and his teachings. Yet he insisted on being hung upside down because he didn't find himself to be worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus Christ. Jesus saw what Simon could become. Jesus saw that Peter would be the rock of the new church. Jesus saw a human being that was frail in his faith, yet growing in his testimony. Jesus restored him. He charged him. Jesus believed in him. He saw in Peter what was hard for Peter to see in himself and what others struggled to see. Peter needed Jesus again and again and again to overcome himself as his own conqueror. Jesus saw and Jesus knew. And now Peter knew. The lyrics to that song I quoted before were not complete. The song, as many of you well know, is called The Voice of Truth by Casting Crowns, and I'm sure many of you could sing along quite easily. The part I've not yet read to you goes like this. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. The voice, the voice of truth says, this is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. But the stone was just the right size to put the giant on the ground. And the waves don't seem so high from on top of them looking down. And I will soar with the wings of eagles when I stop and listen to the sound of Jesus singing over me. I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. When you look in the mirror, will you see God's plan for you? Will you see the glory He has planned for you? The courage God has ready for you to step out into your battlefield. The honesty to shun the battle gear that someone else believes you should have. The belief to know that what you are doing, you are doing for God. When you look in the mirror, will you be myopic to the point that you don't see God's forces encircling the camp of your life? Will you cower in fear, resisting the all-sufficient power that is God, declining the free gift of His grace, and ignoring the sacrifice of His Son? 
Sometimes you have to look harder into the mirror to see God's mighty angels in strong alignment, ready to cover you as you go forward. When you look in the mirror, will you see the impulsive, rash, and emotional person inside all of us? Will you see the reactive, dismissive self-doubter that makes us all human? Will you see the volatile personality that probably offends more than it attracts? Or, when you look in the mirror, will you see the trust and confidence that Jesus Christ has in you? After all, He intercedes for us to the Father, begging us to cast our cares on Him so that He can fortify us and allow us to become the rock on which this church will continue to grow. Now look, it's unlikely that any of us are going to have to wonder if we should stand up and fight a nine-foot giant. It's unlikely that we'll look out our window and find our city encircled by troops seemingly dooming us to imminent capture or death. And it's unlikely that we're going to lop off the ear of somebody that arrests a spiritual leader. Those are not the battles that are expected in our paths. Those aren't the decisions we'll have to make when we look in the mirror and decide how we're going to act. But maybe these strike a little closer to home. Should you offer yourself to be part of the worship committee? or the missions committee, or the next nominating committee? Should you take a leadership position in the church, either as an elder or as a deacon? Should you reach out to the lonely or the afflicted and take them a meal or sit with them and read them a story? Maybe from the Bible, maybe from this week's Sports Illustrated, or maybe from your own personal history. Should you come in on Friday afternoons and fold bulletins so they're ready for Sunday morning? Should you give a few hours of your time when the call goes out to reevaluate the storage trailer? Should you bid a little higher than you first expected for something at the gala this week? Should you volunteer to be part of a teaching rotation for a Sunday school class? Should you start attending a Sunday school class? Maybe these are some of the battles you've faced about your personal walk and the self-limiting view you have on the gifts that God sees in you. Maybe you feel you're too introverted to be a greeter, or you're too self-conscious to sing in the choir or the praise band, or you're too worried you'll trip to be an usher and collect the tithes and offerings that we humbly give back to God. And you know what? If you had to do those things alone, I'd be inclined to agree that that giant calling in your ear is right. But I tell you this, with the authority of God the Father, Jesus Christ, His Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit, as written by the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, I'll read selective verses starting with verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus the Lord. We are more than conquerors. We, you, me, and God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Look in that mirror 
See what you see. Then try to see what God sees. 